Well, hello, everyone. Uh, happy Friday. Welcome to another edition of the Ronin Leadership Podcast. I uh, hope you all have had a wonderful week. Uh, as you know, I always try, try out different t-shirts uh, when I do the podcast. This one is a guy named Bass Reeves. If you don't know who Bass Reeves is, he, is, uh, he was a U.S. Marshal in the Old West. Uh, they say he was the um, kind of the, the person that they replicated the Lone Ranger from because he used to work with uh, Indians to get bad guys and go undercover. Uh, and uh, if you haven't heard about him, even though this has nothing to do with Ronan Leadership Podcast, it's a good, you should read the book. There's, a, there's some good documentaries out there on him. So I just thought I'd, I'd celebrate Bass Reese Day on this Friday. Uh, first of all, thanks all of you to, who have uh, subscribed to this channel. We're continuing to grow the channel, we now have over 500 subscribers, which is great. And also, as you know, I have a, uh, a leadership uh, blog that I do on LinkedIn. And so we've got over 1,600 subscribers to that. And I'll try to pump out another one today. So thank you very much. Uh, if you continue to like uh, what you're hearing, uh, please continue to comment so we can make the podcast better. Hit the subscribe button, uh, hit the like button. Tell your friends, your family, tell your enemies, because they probably need to listen to this anyway. Um, and again, shameless plug, uh, if you haven't done so already, I have two books out, uh, The Art of Ronin Leadership, which is more of my macro view of leadership and a lot of mistakes I've made along the way, but hopefully I've learned from them. And then The Art of Executing Ronin Leadership Strategies, which was due to your feedback saying that you liked the first book, but you actually wanted more of a hands-on you know, like how to build teams and get budgets and all that good stuff. So Amazon.com, MikeHowardAuthor.com. Done with that. Now let's get on to the main part of the podcast. Very excited today because a dear friend, we consider her a part of our family, um, uh, Samantha Sangre. I met her when she was Samantha Reinertson years ago. Uh, Sam, as we affectionately call her, uh, is... Uh, in my opinion, a brilliant young business person who was my business manager for many, many years, uh, who, who, who taught me, I thought I was organized. Uh, this is the most organized person I ever met in my entire life. And who really helped me to achieve what I needed to achieve as chief security officer by making my life so much easier and really keeping me focused on strategy and, and taking care of a lot of the stuff that, you know, I didn't need to take care of. Uh, Sam uh, is a millennial. Uh, we've actually talked about this before, uh, but her journey, I think, is fascinating, and it's 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 great to have you on the show, Sam. Uh, and uh, you're also about to give birth to your second child. Yes, I am. So, one first, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited. Um, I've been watching for a while, and um, I'm very honored to be a guest star. <laughs> But yeah, I've got some uh, busy life moments coming up here and uh, well, at the time of filming, three to five weeks. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, we're happy for you. So, yes, we'll see if this gets published before or after uh, baby boy comes. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll get to the part where you and I first met and started kind of, you know, working together because that's a whole story in and of itself. 
But why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background and how did how did you end up at at, at Microsoft? Sure, sure. So um, I went for to undergrad at University of Washington, and straight out of a business degree, I was like, I want to be in consulting. I want to help. Um, I want to see how businesses work. And I interviewed with Microsoft at, in a consultancy job for LMC Consulting. And um, I remember interviewing with the global security team and really needing kind of a project manager. Mm -hmm. Also, like at that time, you know, just kind of getting some of the communication out as well. And so I ended up working in that role um, under three different managers for about a year and a half. And that's when I met Mike. I remember the first time I met Mike, I was so starstruck. I could barely even talk. I was just <laughs> Mike Howard, chief security officer. Um, since he was like, at the time, like my boss's 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 boss. And so- Later on, you would just say, oh, it's just, that's just Mike. That's just Mike. <laughs> it took some time though, the starstruck. Yeah. Um, but yes, and so I, from there, uh, uh, when Mike, really realized his need for kind of a business management position, um, which is kind of that chief of staff position. Um, I've been doing some of that work for one of his directs and it was a natural progression for me to uh, interview for the job with Mike when it opened up as a full-time position at Microsoft. And so um, since then I've been at Microsoft for about 10 years. Wow. <laughs> and it's 10 years this August actually, which Amazing. date. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how I got my start um, uh, at Microsoft. And since then, I've had a couple different careers at Microsoft. But my first one was with Mike, and that was right. a great <laughs> <laughs> And what's your current role? What is your current role right now? And then we'll kind of go backwards a little bit. Yeah, sure. <clears throat> so my current role is a senior uh, product marketing manager. Uh, I made the shift to marketing um, about a year ago. Um, after getting my completing my MBA and deciding kind of where I wanted to go in my career journey after that MBA and what I had learned. So mm -hmm. been there about a year. I love it. Um, Good. But yeah, happy to explain more why. <laughs> awesome. So when you uh, came aboard as, uh, as my business manager, um, Maybe because I think it's a great insight into again, I think you have a you have a great strategic mindset. And so basically you had done a bit of that work, obviously, for one of my direct reports, but now you're at a different level, really at, at, a, at a higher level. So how did you approach the job? I mean, how did you figure out how to craft being my, my chief of staff, my business manager? Oh, let me think back. But now. Mm -hmm. we're yeah. <laughs> um, Coming into that role, especially, you know, two years out of college, let's mm -hmm. say, um, it it was an incredible opportunity. And the the really fun thing about being a business manager is, uh, especially where I was in my career, I got to work at a lot higher level. I got to see the strategic. I got to see the leadership. Mm -hmm. But you're also delivering on the tactical. So you run the gamut from tactical to strategic. And that's what's so much fun about a business management job. So when I came in, I first wanted to understand, well, what's the rhythm of business? Like, what's our governance model? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, how does Mike interact with his leadership team? 
and uh, get the information he needs. I needed to learn how Mike led, like what was his leadership styles. Mm-hmm. You know, Mike's not a micromanager, which I appreciate about him. Um, and then I had to figure out, well, what's what's the org? What's, what's the culture of the org? How do we mm-hmm. communicate with our org? A lot of the chief of staff job is looking down into the org and making sure we have the right processes to run the organization um, on the cadence that it needs to be run. Um, and so at that point, a lot of it was like, well, what's our communication strategy? How do how are we open and effective with our communication and our decision-making and share that with the org? So mm-hmm. that's really where I started was first like, what's the rhythm with the leadership team? And then what's the rhythm with the org? Um, and that's, yeah, that's that's kind of my my thought process when it comes to chief staff. But yeah. I also learn a lot too. I was like pretty new in role and mm-hmm. Mike, was, Mike was so helpful for me because he set me up with a lot of great mentors, um, some that I still um, talk to this day. Uh, especially in those chief of staff roles that I can learn from. I didn't know everything the chief of staff was or was supposed to be. Right. Yeah, you you adapted to the role very well. Um, and I think for the audience, you know, as you know, I'm I'm high on productivity and how to be productive. Um, and you were able to get me on a rhythm of business, whether it was the weekly syncs or whatever we, that we would do so that I stayed on track strategically. And uh, and that's a that's a good lesson for a lot of leaders that whether you have a SAM or you don't have a SAM to carve out time to do strategy. Right. Uh, if you're lucky like me, I had a SAM. Right. You know, and I remember you, you remember Lori Aaron. Right. You know. Yeah, um, of course. Right. So I think I saw her this last summer. For those of you who don't know, Lori Aaron is um, another heavy hitter of a VP uh, in the security world. And. Uh, we were at a at a conference, security conference. I think it was Las Vegas, and I remember I was speaking at her uh, on a panel or something like that. And I introduced you, and I remember to this day she said, "You have a Sam. I need a Sam." <laughs> I remember that too. Uh, it was a it was a great compliment every time someone said I needed a Sam. To be honest, it happened a couple times. <laughs> it did. <laughs> I appreciate it too, but. Uh, yeah, if at the end of the day, your job is to set the vision as the leader. Your job is to do the strategic and you shouldn't get too far into the weeds with the tactical. That's why you have a chief of staff to make sure right. that things are getting done at that level and also pushing your priorities. So, yeah, so that's how I knew my job impact, right? Like if I was making right. it easier, I was doing a good job. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but now- so from a challenges standpoint, uh, there's two things that come to mind. Your age at the time, did that ever pose a challenge either within our org or at a macro level, other parts of the org that you'd have to deal with as my chief of staff? That's kind of number one. Oh yeah, that um, that definitely did. And it was age and experience too, mm-hmm. because there's people that have been there for 10, 20 years. Um, and we would email and it would be, and then they'd meet me for the first time and be like, you're really young. Like, well, yeah. I yeah. Change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm starting to age out of that sentiment, which is. <laughs> uh, you still look young. So. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, 
but no, it's, I remember at the time, like, you know, it's already hard to influence without authority, mm -hmm. uh, which is what chief of staff role can be or a business management role can be. Um, Cause, but go, especially going into a leadership team, a lot of your members that have been there for 10 years, 10 mm -hmm. plus years, um, like creating the relationships with those teams, having them see me more as, as a help to them mm -hmm. um, and like not a hindrance to them. And at, at first I remember in leadership meetings, I was a little more in listening mode. I was trying mm -hmm. to figure out the dynamics and figure out what was going on. And you really encouraged me to speak up and have a, as a valued opinion. But especially in the org too, I remember um, trying to get things from people and, and, and learning that like when, when you're the youngest one in the room, you can't heavy hand it. You don't have the authority behind you to just be like, Hey, I need this now. Yeah. yeah. You really have to work on the relationship building. Um, so you actually get what you need when you ask for it. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Yeah. That's a hundred percent correct. Uh, and that's a lesson that a lot of folks coming out of, for instance, in the CSO world coming out of the government, where it's always top down, as you know, and then they come into an enterprise and all of a sudden, exactly what you said, how do you have influence without the authority, right? And I remember you introducing me to the leadership team uh, and you did a great job of, I think the listening part that you mentioned is very important. Uh, you didn't just come in with guns a blazing, you know, you listen, learn, kind of figured everybody out, you know, cause they didn't know who you were. I mean, they, they knew who you were in general, but you're carving out a new role for yourself, uh, which means you're representing me, you know, with them. And so that sometimes that's a fine balance, right? Yeah. And I remember like, like when you come in and you're that young, everything's important. Everything's urgent. When you get a little later in your career, like the people on your leadership team were right. um, and how I feel now versus 10 years ago, um, like it, like you're a little less anxious, you're a little more calm, you've seen a little more before. And so I had to learn that like, just cause it was urgent for me, it wasn't urgent for everyone. Um, and uh, like be a little less pedantic on things like timing in a leadership meeting. Like mm -hmm. as much as I wanted to move things forward, I also, you know, sometimes you need to have the conversation it's okay to go a little over. Yeah. Um, but yeah. When you're, when you're that young in career, everything's urgent, everything's important. And you have to learn how to prioritize. Uh, maybe you have some flexibility with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you always like organized? I mean, was that just kind of in your DNA or is it something you learned over a period of time? How did you get to the point where, because seriously, I tell everybody, the most organized person I've met in my life is Samantha Sangre. And that's true. I've met a lot of, really organized people you're the number one so how, how did that happen you know I think I've just always been a planner I think yeah. there's certain people that plan um it's funny we joke about with my husband I'm like I'm definitely the one that makes the plans and he's the one who joins the plans you know <laughs> yeah. the relationship yeah. um but yeah but it doesn't apply to all aspects of my life you know mm -hmm. my it's kind of messy right now but yeah. I do <laughs> want to make sure maybe like kind of time hacking yeah. and, and organizing discussions and figuring out ways to organize so we're the most productive we can be. And right. so I think it's always been a little bit of my DNA mm -hmm. um, and the rest has just been learned. But 
I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm the most organized person I've ever met. I'll put that out there. I think okay. I've learned from others too. <clears throat> yeah. Organize and how to be even more productive. So I still try to, I think of myself as a learner too. Yeah. 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 It's lifelong learning, right? It is. And some things you try and you're just like, well, this doesn't work. And <laughs> you throw that out. And yeah. some things like, I, I, I always joke that I live my whole life on one note, like yourself, mm-hmm. one note. Right. But, yes. I became a big fan of it. Thanks to you. Everything was on I one remember note. You, <laughs> I remember us being, you being like, I was like, hey, can you download this one note? Because we're going to just talk about things in the context of one note. And yeah, it was great. Yeah, that's stuck. Like I still use that to this day, but yeah. not everything works. Yeah. Trial. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I remember we were at a conference one time and there were a couple of guys that were up there and I know, you know, we're friends, but they were doing a thing on, you know, different generations, like baby boomers are X and, and remember, and then millennials, they had all this other kind of stuff. And I remember I looked at you and I raised my hand and I said, you got a millennial right here. Why don't you ask her instead of, you know, all these things on the board, right? Um, but my point is, I'm sure things have changed. I've been out of the enterprise for a few years now, but is there still a, a, a millennial bias of even in the in where we are in the tech world? Or do you think that's kind of moved on? I think it's moved on to a point because okay. um, we're not in our early 20s anymore. Like millennials are 30 to 40 now. And so we are, we are actually the core of the workforce Sure. of who's in, who's, who's in the workforce right now. Um, but, and like there's millennials in leadership roles now, um, especially with the size of the company, but I, I think there's less of a bias just because we're becoming the norm. Yeah. I think tensions then put more on Gen Z and, uh, whatever's after that. I can't remember right now, but I can't remember. I don't know. <laughs> but yes. Uh, so I think, look, there's an always a bias towards the next generation that's been going on since the beginning of time. Mm-hmm. And millennials got a lot of flack. Um, but now it, it feels like it's shifted. Now it's like the, now there's like 90s party throwbacks and stuff. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's I was growing up you know like this isn't historical and right. so all of a sudden uh what was you know the p- peak of culture is now becoming dated and uh the next generation is now getting the flack for being young and new and avant-garde so um no I don't really feel that bias as much um though I guess it depends on you know your org and mm-hmm. How, what generations your organization is in. Um, but yeah, I remember when you and I went to the FBI and mm-hmm. uh, they asked you about generations as well, uh, as well the FBI headquarters in DC. And um, you were like, well, I have a millennial right here. She'll speak about it. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> yeah, you were on the laptop. You go, huh? I was like, oh, oh I thought you were presenting Mike, but she heard. Um, but yeah. Sam, why don't you say a few words? Go ahead. I talked about some of the biases, the good yep. ones, the bad ones. And yep. um, I think a, a really good trait of my generation is I feel like a lot of millennials kind of want to save the world. And like, that's why there's a huge push on sustainability and corporate citizenship. And mm-hmm. I think that's 
a really great trait of my generation, but there's yeah. a plenty of bad ones. And then I kind yeah. of explain that like any bias, um, not all of them are true for every person. Mm-hmm. You can't make a assumption about an entire generation. Just, right, right. just like you can't for anyone else. Right, um, yeah. exactly. When, and you just touched on something. So obviously, and we're, we'll, we'll peel back some more about leadership, but uh, yeah. a great leadership trait is obviously being able to speak in public. And I've seen you, you know, being comfortable speaking in public. Uh, those of you who don't know, Sam actually, she was so good at her job. My boss, my then boss, Frank Broad asked if he could, if she could help him out with his leadership team and his rhythm of business. Uh, and when we had, would have all hands, Sam would have a, a preeminent role in that and in, in, in all the all hands. Uh, and you're very comfortable in, in front of people. Were you, cause I wasn't, you know, it took me a while and I, I love it now, but I wasn't always good at public speaking. Were you always comfortable in front of an audience or was that something else that had to evolve? You know, I was always somewhat comfortable. Um, mm-hmm. I loved as a kid, I would do theater and stuff like that. And that really helps with kind of having speaking. Right. Sona. But I got so nervous still. Like you really had to like, uh, like you seemed like you could go on a stage and just talk. And I was someone, maybe it's the planner in me that would need to prepare. Mm-hmm. And so there was some trial and error moments. I remember doing a panel day SIS mm-hmm. and I really had gone through the questions and bulleted out some of the talking points I wanted to say. And I asked someone for feedback afterwards and they're like, yeah, you seemed a little like over-rehearsed. And I was like, oh, that's good feedback. Like sometimes yeah. over-rehearsing is just as bad. Right. And then I remember I was always involved at, in our giving campaign. And so I would mm-hmm. do at different groups. <clears throat> um, and I remember going to uh, uh, one of the GM's all hands to talk about the overall Frank Broad's org uh, results. I was so nervous and I couldn't get over my nerves. I remember speaking with nerves still there. And I, I just remember being like, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> like, <laughs> my nerves before I get on stage. And so when I then spoke at the full CFS all hands in front of, you know, 2000 people, like maybe 500 in the room, I was just like, just pretend you're talking to a friend, like just pretend like you're just talking to Frank. Um, and, right. and so I, I remember just being like, you just, you can't be nervous. So you're not going to be. So I just kind of went through what I was going to be. So it took, it took time to actually figure out my speaking style, mm-hmm. how to get over nerves, how to rehearse, but not over rehearse. There's a lot of things that go into public speaking and everyone has different issues with it um so you kind of have to figure out what are your strengths and what do you need to work on and those were mine yeah exactly now it was a pleasure watching you evolve to the point where you know you're very comfortable in your own skin your own style and i remember like you know frank and others that you know you know you they would have to have a lot of notes because that that was their style and you know me i don't like notes because it's just gonna throw me off right yeah well which I always appreciate someone who can like, you need bullets on the, the stats and some, some sort of prompting to get you to the next part of the speech. Yeah. But I think people that know the topic so well, they can speak from the heart. It's a lot more effective um, than, you know, teleprompter reading. Yeah. Um, 
if you can. If you but can, yeah. If you can, it's still something to go with. <laughs> yeah. So um, you've, you've had, so besides working for me, obviously, you mentioned the, the GMs that were my peers, as well as others that you uh, had to deal with and still deal with over a period of time. So 10 years now, right, coming up with Microsoft. Years. You've been able to, and you, you know, I consider you a leader. That's why you're on this podcast. So you've been able to view all kinds of leadership styles. Um, and so, you know, I always ask the question of people coming on the show. <clears throat> when you look at what the traits are of uh, what you consider to be a leader versus, say, a manager, uh, what, what comes to mind to Sam? You know, there's a lot of different leadership styles, both good and bad. Mm -hmm. um, but when I think of leader, I should think of vision. I think of someone who drives with purpose. Um, I, I've noticed there's certain leaders I gravitate towards. Um, and probably a lot of those are servant leaders. We always joked with you, man of the people, right? Yeah, um, right, yeah. That's kind of what I look for in a leadership style. Like you mentioned, you helped me get to a point in my career where I worked for Frank Broad, who was our uh, chief accounting officer at the time. And I remember being a couple of years into the career with you and feeling like I'm young in career. I should be moving around. I should be getting more experiences. And, um, and when I came to you with those thoughts, it wasn't, you didn't see that as a threat of like, oh, Sam's going to leave. Like you, you, you saw that as, in your servant leadership style, you were like, I, I want to make sure Sam feels fulfilled in, what, in her work and I want to invest in my people. And so you found an opportunity for me for to grow and learn. And so like, that's part of the leadership styles that attract me. Um, I think that any kind of authoritative uh, top down mm -hmm. for me quite as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Part of that is just because I, I really appreciate openness and transparency. Um, and maybe it's just having a twin sister growing up where everything was very equity, you know, quality was key. Um, right. But like, I really want, I, I want to feel like there's openness in the process and the decision-making. Mm -hmm. And so that's also what I care about with leaders as well, but it's probably what I look for and what I don't look for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, that, I think that, I think that's great. Um, you know, because, you know, as you're forming your own leadership style, you're ostensibly gleaning best practices from other leaders that you come across or work for or, you know. And I was lucky in my role to like <clears throat> expose to so many leadership styles at a GM and a CVP level at Microsoft early in my career. So I could see and... We're also lucky because Microsoft had some really great leaders, you know, um, like we worked with some like certifiable geniuses. So yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. what leadership meant to them and uh, how people drove their team and whether it was just transactional or visionary or um, there's a lot of different styles that you could see. Right. So now along the way in your journey, right, you have... Um... You have a full plate of you know supporting me, the team, Frank, you know the org, and then you get into your head. I'm gonna go for my MBA, right? Um, 
what was the driver for that? And how was that experience like for you working full time and driving forward to get your MBA? You know, in my mind, I loved what I did. I loved the org I was in. Um, but I, I still felt like I didn't have a full breadth of what our business is at Microsoft mm -hmm. um, and just business in general. And I've always, you know, continuous learning has always been important to me. The good trade of most people who work at Microsoft too. So mm -hmm. I always known I wanted to go back to get a higher level education if I could, and then bring that back to my job. So it had been, it had been kind of floating around in my mind for a while. It was just mm -hmm. Twitter, especially with you. We did so many. Well, we went on so many fantastic trips to different Microsoft sites and uh, to uh, uh, you know public private events and whatnot. Um, that I was like, well, if I'm gonna go back, I want to make sure that I'm actually there for it. Like I can't be traveling every month either. Right. And when you, when you actually, so I, I knew I wanted to go. I wasn't sure the timing. And when you uh, um, retired from Microsoft, um, that was a big moment. That was a big catalyst in in my life, at least. We went through a huge reorg. Um, I had started to apply to the MBA um, even before that. Mm -hmm. And then, and I, but knowing that I may defer it, no, knowing that maybe this wasn't the right year. Yeah. And so then when everything <clears throat> ended, I was like, I need to, I don't want my career to happen to me. I don't want to just be reorged into a position. I really want to have a direction that I'm driving to and know where I want to go next. Um, and I figured that MBA would kind of help me learn the breadth of the business and help me, help me with my next step. Mm -hmm. So as part of me taking active change, but honestly, change is really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. I know it's necessary for growth, but like, yeah. that was like a very tumultuous being like, well, what do I actually want? Right. But yeah, no, I was it was it was great for me, and uh, in terms of uh, just learning business as a whole, each piece of it, mm -hmm. and then being able to dive into the parts I was really interested in, and using that to shape my next step. Nice, and it, you you found that the curriculum itself, parts of it, if not all of it, were definitely applicable to helping you in achieving the goals that you're trying to achieve at Microsoft and business. Well, the first year, and I'll give it a plug because I did the Foster Evening uh, MBA program, which I right. love. So I was still working at Microsoft in the day and I went to my MBA classes in the evening and weekends, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the first year I was just like, what am I doing? Because you're doing core curriculum and all of a sudden I'm taking like accounting 101, not 101, it's like five, but like right. still, you're taking intro to accounting. And I was, yeah. I was like, bringing my homework to Frank Broad and being like, can you help me on like, <laughs> <minutes>? <laughs> yeah, I was just it. like, what does this have to do with what I, I know I don't want to be an accountant, but like, yeah. and so that part was a little frustrating. I was just like, am I going back to my undergrad years where I'm learning about like finance 101 and accounting 101 and uh, statistics and, um, and then we started getting into the more managerial classes and I got into that more 
Mm -hmm. for marketing classes. And I got really interested in that because I had always thought of marketing as more being on the comm side. Mm -hmm. uh, That's what I had been exposed to. Um, And not as actually some of the business, really the key business drivers within the organization. Um, The people actually tracking the metrics, the people actually proposing what programs, what products, working with engineering, kind of being the glue. And Mm -hmm. that's, that's part of what I learned in business school. And so the later I got into the MBA, the more applicable the courses, mm-hmm. the more interesting they were. Um, and then by the third year, you get to do all electives. So at that point, that's when I really was able to choose my own adventure and what I wanted to learn as opposed to here's the broad business background first. Got it. Mm-hmm. But it did show me where I didn't want to go, which was helpful. That's good. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's, you don't take the wrong path, right? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing, well, speaking of a tumultuous time, so yeah. Yeah. new job in a reorg. Yeah. Started the MBA. I was about a year and a half in the MBA when the COVID pandemic hit. Um, and so that was also a massive change. And so so personally, it was pretty awful. <laughs> um, professionally, um, I was put on the COVID task force for Microsoft in terms of shutting down all of our sites, working to make sure we had the policies in place um, for our employees, and then eventually reopening all of our sites and mm-hmm. um, kind of moving us into that hybrid workplace world. And so that was like such, such an amazing professional experience because I got to work cross-org with HR and CELA and public health. And so I had always liked working on cross-organizational teams, Um, but that was probably the largest scope I had ever been able to do. And the other fun thing is all the leadership was women. We still have a group of women um, that all get together regularly Mm -hmm. um, because we were the ones driving that initiative. Um, with Microsoft's leadership team. And so that'll wow. learn like whatever job I want to go to next, I want to be working cross company. I want to be working cross org. Um, I want to be meeting with all these different disciplines and bringing them together with one vision um, because that's what we did at the COVID task force. So it set a bar for me where yeah. I was, where do I go from here? Because this was, this was one of the <clears throat> professional experiences I've had. So that paired with the MBA really helped me make my decision. Um, That's awesome experience, man. Wow. Yeah, you can't pay for that experience. But again, personally, not so fun. Professionally, great. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a hard time, you know, obviously. And I think we talked about this before we started the recording, but you mentioned change, right? You, you've now gone through several iterations of change management, change. Um, from a best practices standpoint, when when you are in charge, let's say you you get to this point where you're maybe, maybe you're managing cross org, right, or something like that, right? And there's going to be some change, which there always is. So, from what you have seen and experienced in your career, from a change perspective, what are the things you're going to try to avoid? As opposed to like, you know, I could get asked the normal question. Okay, what are best practices for? What are the things you would avoid? Yeah, 
I, you know, I have a couple. I'm thinking through reorgs I've been through. I'm thinking about COVID task force and the change management that took. I also was on a nonprofit board called North Haven. They were building mm -hmm. a new building and, um, and they were going to do some affordable housing and not just senior living. And that was a huge change. And from all of those, I think the what you don't do, well, first, again, change is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. And all of us go through change throughout our life. Like right. there's, no, there's no way around it. You're going to go through change at some point. It just depends how big or small it is. Um, uh, and so people are used to change, but they don't like it. Uh, and no one <laughs> yeah. likes it, right. uh, yeah. even if it's necessary to, to grow. And so I think the biggest thing is, is you can't shove change down people's throats. You mm -hmm. can't say, we're going to change now and be done with it. Right. Like, first, you, you really have to over, you've got to communicate in multiple ways, uh, multiple times in multiple ways. Um, so people actually hear the change. You got to give people forums for feedback. Like you can't just, again, you can't just shove it down their throats. You have to make sure that they understand the thought process that went into it, the decision-making that went into it. Um, and then hear like, well, what are the problems they have with it? Like, and, and, and actually be able to address those problems head on. And maybe yeah. that means change your change management strategy. Um, but you can't just say, this is the way we, it is. And here's, uh, you got to give a little, here's why. And then what can we do for you to make it easier? Um, and give multiple venues in which to do that. So, yeah. Got to understand that it's hard, but you also have to remind people like, you've lived through change before. Right. I promise you. And you will live through change again. You'll get, you'll get through it, right? Exactly. You'll get through it. Yeah, maybe better for it. Uh, well, yeah, if you are now. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, if it's easy, then you know there's no challenge, and no challenge means that you don't. There's no, there's no chance to grow, right? It may be right. uncomfortable, but you know, I, I, but that's life. Like you said earlier, very nicely, right? Wisely, that's that's life. Um, it's part of speaking it. of speaking of life, right? So you have a full plate. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a full plate before when we were together, working together, before you had your first child, right? Uh, yeah. And now you, you, you've got a full plate. So it begs the question of, you know, the, I, I kind of actually hate that term now, but the, the work-life balance or whatever you want to call it now. Yeah. Right? How do you how have do you, it all? <laughs> how, yeah, yeah. How do you slice it? How do you have it all? How do you slice that in your life? I'm glad you asked the work-life balance question. Look. <laughs> They talk, they say work-life balance, work-life flexibility. You just, you have to have trade-offs. So mm -hmm. the one thing I forgot to mention during the busiest part of my time, when I was, busiest moment of my life, I was working at Microsoft. I was getting an MBA. Um, and then I got pregnant for the first time. So 2020 mm -hmm. was a big year in terms right. of trade-offs, in terms of work-life balance. And I had been, you know, a career professional for so many years at that point, I couldn't even imagine just turning it off and then focusing on being a mom. And it happened because it had to happen. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you realize the trains will run without you. Microsoft won't collapse because you've left, mm -hmm. <laughs> even for a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, which was global security, whatever, had you left. I appreciate that I do. <laughs> like, 
part of you feels like, you know, there's no way this can run without me. And I promise you it can. Um, that being said, like, and then you come back and you have your impact, don't worry. Mm -hmm. uh, but the point I'm trying to make here is you have to have trade-offs. Like, especially now that I'm, I work, I have a two-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, no. <laughs> and I'm also pregnant. It's like, we, we got into a better rhythm like our own personal rhythm. My daughter loves daycare and um, she goes, but like, I also don't want to keep her in there from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Sure. So like, you know, I, I usually do breakfast with her Good. and drops her off. I then pick her up a little early. Um, if I got to jump, if I got to jump back on, um, I try to do so after her bedtime, mm -hmm. um, just so I can spend that pick up to dinner time with her. Um, and so it's one of those things where we've kind of found a balance that works for us. And then we can be flexible if things shift. Two weeks yeah. ago, having one of the busiest weeks of my professional career. And um, my husband took a little more of the heavy lifting. Um, yeah. But I still tried to turn it off for that time um, between kind of pick up and bedtime for her. Mm -hmm. And then I jump back on after bedtime. Um, and so like... I do appreciate that there's more flexibility in how we work so I can have a better work-life balance. Mm -hmm. um, hybrid work's been great for me. I can go in, I can be remote. Right. Um, but it but it constantly changes. So I'm about to hit a new season of, I'm in a really great place right now and I'm about to add a baby to that. So it's, it's gonna suffer again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Balance is gonna skew a lot more towards home and family. Sure. And then I'm going to have to learn again how to get back into my work life. And right. at least I've done it once before. Yeah, you got uh, a track record. You kind of know the ropes a little bit, you know, so. Yeah, but it's never, it's never perfect. You, right. just have to, you just have to be flexible with yourself. Yeah. No, I like that. I like the fact that you can, you know, I, I like that you, you carve out the time necessary to do your personal stuff that's important. Uh, and the job is important, but it's not the end all and be all. And uh, right, uh, that's one of the things of your twenties versus your thirties too. Is you kind of realize that your whole life isn't your job. Right. Um, right. But you know, and maybe my forties will be different. Maybe I'll I'll go back to a little more job when my kids are more independent. But and then honestly, my weekends are really kids. Like I yeah. want to be my my, my child. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. So I got uh, two more two more questions before we 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 finish up, and I I have to ask this because I we I keep I keep touting your organizational skills. So how does Sam, as you look at the next week, right? Let's say we're taking let's take a look. It's Friday, so and you got the week coming up ahead. How do you organize yourself? Your personal. How do you organize yourself? Because I know how you organize me. How do you organize yourself? Okay. Okay. Um, I still live in OneNote. You know that. <laughs> so I usually, I usually spend my Friday, uh, well, Friday morning, which is right now. Right. I kind of look forward to the, the next week, especially see what's okay. coming up. Sometimes I'll, I'll look a couple weeks out just to kind of understand the rhythm. We used to do this together too. We'd look at like right. what's coming in your calendar for the week and the month. <laughs> like, right every every time and then I kind of go back to my one note where I have 
each of my programs and under each of those programs, what I'm working on. And I, I kind of had like, well, here's the projects I'm working on. Here's the challenges I have. Um, here's any escalations or help I need. And that's when I kind of say, oh, well, I need to carve out some time to prep for this meeting next week or um, mm -hmm. actually like work on a deck. And so that's when I kind of do my calendar management as well to make sure I'm meeting with the people I need to meet with and I'm carving out the time I need to actually get work done and prepare and make a PowerPoint or uh, yeah. of that sort. And I just kind of go through so yeah, I really just go through, well, what are my programs and where's everything at? Um, and then what's coming up in the next week that I really need to make sure I'm ready for. So that kind of grounds me every Friday. Mm -hmm. um, and then I kind of use the OneNote to kind of check things off as I go through them um, throughout the yeah. week. It's a living document. It's not like I just look at it on Friday morning. And yeah. It's also used to update my manager on what I'm doing and what help I need. So um, that's kind of how I live. That's good. That's all, I, mean, I think it's important for people to hear because I, you know, I get questions all the time about productivity and how do you do this, how do you do that? And uh, you could write the book on OneNote, right? You could actually do your own podcast on how to do OneNote, which would be actually well, it's like, cool. It's like your second book. Your second book gets a little more tactical on like, how do you actually do these things? Like not yeah. just as ideals, but... Um, tactically like how do you get more budget how yeah. do you how do you influence like yeah. so it's my tactical like how I am productive for myself and it's definitely how I work with you too on yours yeah. love it love it I guess last question before we wrap up um what's what's on the horizon for Sam I mean what are you looking what are you looking for in your career I mean obviously upward mobility blah 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 but you know personally if you look at yourself downrange 20 years from now, I mean, where do you want to see yourself? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is I want to be a manager of a team. Like I've loved being an individual contributor. Um, I feel like I've learned so much in terms of working with people and I'm very relationship oriented mm -hmm. and I focus on kind of people's well-being, their motivations. The interactions between teams. Um, so I want to have a chance to lead my own team. Um, so that's, I think, hopefully not 20 years down the line, but like hopefully. Oh, I'm like sure it'll, it'll happen <laughs> fairly quickly. Yeah. That's my, uh, that's kind of my big next step um, as I kind of grow and develop. And it's funny, like if you had asked me when I was 22, I probably would say I want to be CEO. And now right. I have like a little more I know what I'm good at mm -hmm. to a point and I know what I like doing. Um, and so I, I think I, I would like the chance to lead my, to lead an org. When I look at that 20 year pass, mm -hmm. um, actually leading an org would be a, it would, would be a huge role for me. And I, I, I keep saying things without titles because <laughs> um, I try not to be too cognizant of titles, but there's a couple sure like in my life as well yeah. um but i'm happy i'm happy to i'm happy to be on the journey it's funny uh chris capicella wrote a really great blog about how his his career may not have been the fastest path but he did things he loved yeah um, and he got, had got great experiences and 
now he's our CMO, our chief marketing officer. So I've like I've had a couple opportunities to take a faster path, um, jump from different company to different company. And um, time has always kind of shown me that I I might be on a, a, a slower but steady path, but I'm on a good path. And I, I've liked what I've been able to do and accomplish in my time at Microsoft. So nice. that's my Beautiful. thoughts. No, I think that's great. I, you know, I actually, I'm glad you're talking about enjoying the journey because, you know, there are times now in, in my career, well, now I'm retired, but people that I work with, whether it was the agency, let's say primarily the agency, they'll say, hey, Mike, you remember this, this, and this? And I kind of, I remember this person, I kind of didn't. And then they kind of remind me and I remember, oh yeah, I kind of remember that. But I kind of didn't live for the moment at the time when I was in my 20s and 30s or maybe early 40s. And I wish I had done more of that just to really enjoy the now like you're talking about, like you're yeah. doing. I think it's important because later on in life, you know, it's, you know, life will come, tomorrow will come, but today is never going to come back again. I, I truly believe that and it may just be my experiences personally too, but like you, you got to enjoy the now because you don't know what's going to happen next. And let's be clear, Mike, like you may be retired, pretty, pretty soft retirement. You seem like you're very busy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. You know, the, the plan didn't quite work out the way I thought it was going to. So <laughs> this is just career three or like 10, um, like the kind I guess of so. breaking up. <laughs> Hey, Sam, this has been great. Um, it's been great reconnecting with you. And uh, like I said, you, you, you made a significant impact on my life uh, for, in many respects. But, uh, you know, besides the, the business aspect of, of helping me become, hopefully, you know, the best CSO uh, I could be, um, you, you, are a, you are a genuinely decent, intelligent, smart, driven, wonderful person. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, you have, you have significantly impacted my life in many, many ways. And so getting you on this podcast was a must and I'm, I'm glad we can make this happen. Well, thank you. I remember the first time you asked me and I was like, I'm not through my MBA yet. I remember I where I land. <laughs> um, but I appreciate yeah. you waiting and I'm again, honored to be on this. You were my first like FTE manager and you totally changed kind of the trajectory of my career and my life to a point. So a uh, huge, a huge thank you. You'll be family forever. You're welcome. Yep, definitely. And uh, good luck uh, with uh, uh, the impending. It's going to be fun. <laughs> It'll be exciting. Another chapter in your life. Yes. I'm glad we could fit this one in. <laughs> my priorities changed quite significantly. <laughs> Got it. All right. Well, that's, uh, uh, that's, uh, that's the edition of the Rona Leadership Podcast for this week. Uh, again, uh, please hit the subscribe button if you like uh, what you're listening to. Continue to send comments because we can't get better and refine ourselves unless we get comments, whether it's we love it or, hey, you could do this better. It just makes us better. And so uh, till the next time, uh, have a good weekend and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, let me stop the recording here.